What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Filmography is back, and just in time for Halloween season, we're taking a deep dive into the master of horror, John Carpenter. Starting September 27th, host Dominic Suzanne Mayer and a rotating panel of guests will break down each of Carpenter's 20 feature-length movies to date, with new episodes every Thursday. Grab your synthesizer, your flares, and your best Shatner mask, and come along on this latest journey with us. Consequence Podcast Network. to all of you sweet, sweet pod people out there. Welcome to this week's episode of This Must Be The Gig. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is your little backstage pass to the world of live music. You asked for it. You asked for every week us bringing a fascinating conversation from the depths, the deep, deep, deep of the live music and performance arenas. And that could also mean a musician that I chat to. It could mean I scout a festival founder, a choreographer that I love, a comedian, an actor, really anyone obsessed with live music the way we are. And uh, before we dig into this week's lovely interview, let's check in with our constant companion, our CC, our engineer, our co-host here at TMBTG Studios, Adam. Co-host with the co-most. I nearly, I nearly dived over that high pitched of my own. I went hoop. I went I can't do it. I, I don't have quite Ooh. the range you do. This is great. Oh yeah, I, I have range, all right. Free range, as in the eggs in my fridge. <laughs> 
So what up? Can you believe that this is episode 34? Oh my God, are we already at number 34? That is amazing. Do you know, I'm just about to Google, <laughs> who was born in 1934? <laughs> Trivia time. Um, I'm going to guess. Guess. Oh, wait, Ooh. that may be mean. I'm going to say, some, okay. I'm going to say Raul Julia. Great. Is that accurate? Otherwise known as Raul Julia. Who is that? That was the dad in the Adams Family oh, movies yes. in the 90s. And also, I believe he was the villain in Street Fighter, if I'm not mistaken. Listen, this is not over only trivia hour. This is trivia life. Yeah. We're on your TLs, and I'm not talking about your timeline. Hey. So, Sophia Lorraine was born in 1934. Ooh. Hold on, I'm scrolling. Judy De- Dame. Judy Dame. How dare Wait a second. I? Judy Dench and Sophia Loren were born in the same year? Oh, yeah. Judy Dench. That's insane. Also, we don't call her just Judy. I'm sorry. She's, she ain't no Judge Judy. <laughs> she is a dame. I'm sorry. My apologies to <gasps> the Dame family. Guess who else? Who else? Maggie Smith. I love this game. This it is was an on-the-spot trivia we need, to, we need to just start doing this TL every game. week. Carl Sagan. Okay, star stuff. I get Frankie it. Frankie Valli. I wish I could do the high-pitched voice to keep it going, but I Shirley can't. Shirley MacLaine. Bridget Bardot. Yuri Gagarin. A cosmonaut. Do you remember that guy from history class? I had a friend in, in Gagarin, college who started who a band called the Cosmonauts. Oh, I thought you were going to so say Yuri fun. Gagarin. That would be a great <laughs> yeah, my, friend, my friend in high school was Yuri yeah. Gagarin. <laughs> yeah. I looked up Raul Julia. He was born in 1940. I was well, close. I mean, come on. I was close. You were close. Seven years. Yeah. Okay, wait. We'll name a few more because this is really... Oh, R.I.P. Alan Arkin. Did Alan Arkin he die? He <laughs> I don't think he died. <laughs> No, wait, this is no laughing matter. Celebs and icons die all the time. Alan Arkin is still alive. Okay. Alan, if you are not listening... There's no way Alan Arkin listens to this podcast. I dare you to listen to this, Alan Arkin. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Or Adam Arkin. Alan Arkin, come on the show so that you can prove you're not dead. Adam Arkin, you can also... I never want him to die. Adam Arkin can listen and come on the show as well. Who's that? You you would know him if you saw him as one of those guys. Oh, he was on Chicago <laughs> Hope. One of no. You know? We have not only said that Alan Arkin, is, Alan Arkin is dead. We have also said somebody else is one of those guys. He was on Chicago Hope. He was on Sons of Anarchy for a while. Here's Adam Arkin. Oh, that guy. He's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Google Adam Arkin. It's one of those guys. He's really sweet. So 1934 was a pretty special year let's just say that you got some maggies you got some judy's you got some sophia's Sophia. you got some allen's oh leonard cohen hey. hey 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 we love leonard anyway back to real news back to our number our 34 news. wait do you know what's even better than 1934 <laughs> <laughs> what is better than 1934 this week's guest Hey, Kimbra, I'm so excited. I've been wanting to chat to her ever since this uh, podcast started, actually for much longer than that, for a few years. Kimbra is one of the most exciting and unique voices in pop music. She's just someone, I think, who blends bits of so many genres into the most beguiling songs. And you might know the famous 
New Zealand star from the absolutely inescapable Gotye song on the radio all the time in 2012. Sounds right. Somebody that I used to know. Yes, you can sing that. You have my blessings. And also her own stunners like Warrior and Settle Down and so many. Uh, Also from this year's Unstoppably Heartfelt and Honest album Primal Heart. It's very rare that a pop artist would reference Michael Jackson and Guided by Voices, Stevie Wonder and Faith No More as influences, but that's just who Kimber is. She is not your usual pop artist. And in this interview, you got to chat about some of those first inspirations, including Silverchair. I know! Who she saw as a teen, and then later went on to work with frontman Daniel Johns on 2014's The Golden Echo. It's super cool. And we also got to chat about getting to work with all-time podcast favorite and podcast namey. That's what he is, hey? Absolutely. That's what he is. But he's much more than that. Oh. David Byrne. Hero, God, legend. And what it's like to assert your own creative voice into the music industry despite constantly feeling under obligation to others as a woman, as an artist, and the art of moving across the world, which she has done, and how Nine Inch Nails inspired her electronic streak. There's a lot of really impressive, beautiful, nuanced conversation about feminism and finding your own strength. I I was just really impressed and empowered as a person listening to it, and I can only imagine how it must feel for others who have had to face those same struggles. It's just a very beautiful conversation. It was really wonderful. And and the way that she also is able to articulate uh, how she feels about certain issues and challenges within the industry and the really positive, wonderful things too. She's just got a great outlook. And she's also a Grammy Award winner. And hey, once you've heard the entire conversation this week, leave us a note about it on Twitter Facebook, Instagram, at TMBTGPod. TMBTGPod. Or, better yet, leave that thought as a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Doesn't have to be Apple, but that's just, you know, something common, I guess. Spotify. Spotify. I don't think you can... Can you rate on Spotify? I don't don't know. Google. Stitcher. Stitchers. If you leave us a five-star review... You could get a shout out on the show. Yeah. Which is really cool. You know Ooh. who just wrote a lovely review and gets their oh own special gosh, we shout saw out? That one today. Hard Rocker 5150. Amazing. Good didn't, job. Didn't leave a specific name to no, call you, but that's okay. We like it. Maybe they are also born in 1934. It's entirely possible. Or they were born in 5150. Right. <laughs> Maybe it is the alien from the future. Listening to local earthly podcasts, and they chose ours. Well, nice job, Hard Rocker 5150, <laughs> wherever you are. You're, you're yeah. a cool person, or alien, that we love very much. Very much. If you want to be like Hard Rocker 5150 and help us out and be really cool. Oh, it was so sweet. It's such a good review. Take the two minutes, maybe maximum, that it would take and write a gosh darn review and you'll hear your name on the podcast next week. Do it. Let us not be distracted from this week's wonderful chat. Let's get right into it. This is me and Kimbra. Enjoy!
I've just um, been on tour in uh, Australia, New Zealand. And I'm actually in CG right now. <laughs> oh my gosh! Are you are you on a little <laughs> holiday or are you doing something there work-wise? No, just a stopover um, before we head to um, Los Angeles for the start of our our tour out there. How long have you lived in the states for? Um, let's see. I. I've been there for about five years now, um, over five years, yeah. So it's uh, definitely been an amazing journey. I mean, I, I lived in LA first and then moved to New York about two years ago, or three years ago now, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm really enjoying it. I, I think I really found my my, um, my home in New York and I see myself there for a while. That's so interesting because obviously... Your culture is so different to American culture. Oh yeah, and I yeah. can, because I know for me, I'm I'm South African, so I suppose yeah. we always mm-hmm. find uh, some sort of connection with the Southern Hemisphere folk. And uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, as you said, you recorded in LA a few years ago, and now you recorded your latest album, Primal Heart, primarily in New York, and. Although, obviously, I know a place can definitely inform the way that you approach your own art. How do you feel moving around can really affect the way that you interact with your internal self? Well, I think you said it perfectly where, you know, there's the external experience of being in a new culture and adapting to uh, new ways of interacting and understanding people. And, uh, and then there's also the internal experience of kind of feeling at home um, in a new place and kind of the things that it raises uh, within your own awareness and kind of sense of self. And I think New York is a city that is very, um, I think, confrontational in the way that it yeah, approaches very, you. You know, you kind of yes. have to... Yeah, you really have to sort of spend a lot of time knowing what you want and, and, and communicating really clearly with people and also being, you know, um, face-to-face with not only wonderful, you know, um, highs and, and kind of glamour and excitement and incredible architecture, but also the real woes of, of the human condition, you know, homelessness and um, poverty and kind of experiencing all of that just on a trip on the subway. Um, so I think in that sense, it makes you, as as you said, you know, really question your um, yourself in an internal way and and decide what you what you believe and what you stand for as a human being. I think that's really important, especially for an artist. You know, to not become too complacent, but to be always in a place where you're questioning your ideas, your your constructs of thinking, and um, externally being inspired, but also internally being challenged i know i always feel especially with creativity putting yourself in a situation that's a little bit uncomfortable feels horrendous and sometimes that feels like it's the only way you can potentially stretch and move around within whatever ideals you've had in the past or whatever you're trying to create um but it can obviously get difficult to to be moving around and not having your creature comforts, you know. Normal people would be like, oh, well, I want to be in my studio. I want to be with my friends and my family. So I think it's quite amazing that, yeah. you, that you did that and you created such incredible work by also not being close to those comforts. Well, I mean, I left home at 17 and it's become like a, a way of life to keep setting up a new community wherever I go. 
I will say that in New York, I did really, you know, indulge in some creature comforts. I, I had in yeah. my own apartment, having my own studio inside mm-hmm. my apartment. So I did really write a lot of the record in that um, home studio. And yeah, I really took time to be cooking and spending time with friends and, you know, doing things that perhaps are a little more normal. And I think that is important. I'm certainly not the person that has to be traveling at every second that yeah. definitely can drive anyone crazy. Wait, so you started when you were 17? I mean, I started music far before that, but I left New Zealand at 17 to live oh. in Australia for five years. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah, it's That's kind so of young. A lot of, yeah, moving. Uh, <laughs> so what, what, what made you decide to start singing in the first place? Was it a show that you saw or was it something are your family in music what was the impetus to your passion well um, my parents are actually doctor and nurse so there wasn't a lot of you know music necessarily <laughs> around all the time but yes. I was very drawn to it from as early as I can remember I did love a lot of theater and shows and also a lot of music on the radio and then I picked up guitar at 12 and oh I was already gosh. writing wow. songs um <laughs> Before that, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, I remember writing the silly little songs from about eight or nine, um, and they even had them recorded on tape, and they're just, you know, they're fun. <laughs> but it was clear that it was a sort of language for me, you know, to express myself. And then after learning guitar, I think I became a lot more inspired by the kind of singer songwriters, um, whether that was. Stevie Wonder or Joni Mitchell or, you know, people that were um, writing on an instrument. And that's what inspired me to kind of start taking it more seriously. Um, and at 17, I was signed to a management company. Um, okay. And, you know, signed to start making my first album of vowels. So that's how I moved away from home was because this opportunity presented itself. Did you feel when you were younger, even just, you know, 12, 13, 14, did you feel like this was something that you were going to do? From a confidence standpoint, New Zealanders are quite naturally self-deprecating and (laughs) we don't really, um, we don't talk a whole lot about being a star or being the best or something. We are often quick to talk down what we do, um, which, you know, can be seen as humble and grounded or it can be negative. But I think in my heart, I knew that I'd really love to do this as a line of work. And I felt like I could make a difference with it, you know, not only to myself, but to other people. So I think it was definitely always a sense of a almost spiritual calling that I could really um, use music as a channel to connect with people. But on the other side, I knew that I should be practical and study something at university. And, you know, I was enrolled to do um, some, some study at a university. And so I think that's a classic sort of New Zealand thing where, you know, you dream big, but you're also willing to do yes. the, you know, the responsible thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I was offered this contract at 17 and I just thought I have to go for it, you know. So I never got to university and I just went straight into doing this out of high school (laughs) wow i think you know a lot of people may look at young teens getting you know the ones that are famous before they're even 20 and think that that's such a difficult and challenging way to enter into an industry but it almost sounds like you were doing it for so long before and you you knew you wanted to do it that it feels maybe a little bit smoother 
Or did you find that those few years in the beginning were a little bit like, what the hell am I doing? What's happening? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I I am, like, uh, more fortunate that I was able to, like, form a real sense of what I wanted from an early age and what I what was important to me, you know, what my values were and stuff. And so in those first years of making the album, although it was, of course, you know, challenging at times and um, probably more challenging when my career like, took off really quickly at, at one point, but I knew from an early age what the reasons were that I made music and I've always been quite strong-willed about keeping to um, the integrity of the music and kind of not feeling that I have to change it dramatically to suit a larger market, but rather just, you know, doing what honestly makes me feel excited because I think that's the most genuine way to get other people excited about your music, you know, is when you, as the artist, feel, you know, moved by what you're doing and then that's where that sort of solidarity comes and sharing it with others and saying, hey, join with this and feeling mm-hmm. this way about um, this or that. So, yeah, I think that helps. You know, I wasn't uh, thrown into the Mickey Mouse Club and told yeah. what to wear or whatever. I was, you know, Double yeah. strong, <laughs> stubborn <laughs> from the word go. And, you know, I guess maybe in the music industry, maybe stubbornness can be a good thing. Yeah, that's true. But And also, of course, being, you know, from New Zealand and moving then to Australia, both industries are big, but in comparison to the rest of the world, there's there's small industries, and obviously yeah. there's this almost you're taunted by this idea of that moving to a bigger country with a bigger reach, you know, will change and and elevate your yeah. career. And yeah. I, I don't know. I think I'm more interested in the access that artists get when they move, um, which I feel like you mm. are such a collaborative spirit that I'm sure that moving also helped. But how were the first few years being in the industry then in your hometown or, your, you know, somewhere where you were used to the culture? Yeah, I mean, I think I was singing my own songs on guitar. I was, you know, playing small pops to, you know, people that sometimes listened, sometimes didn't. You know, it was kind yeah. of one of those things where I was doing it very much for myself. Um, I was part of a couple of like TV shows when I was young that were just kind of fun and learning about the music industry. I made a few videos, but I was actually less collaborative back then, probably because I was just doing, you know, what I, what I did and, and kind of just had a lot of fun doing it. But when I moved to a new city, I think I realized, okay, in order to really make use of these opportunities and get that access, like you said, I'm going to have to open up and really, you know, get out of my comfort zone. And it's been a, a kind of mantra of mine ever since really and it's something that you don't do as much perhaps when you're in your hometown because as you say you know there's a certain level of comfort that you Mm -hmm. have in your own skin and in your own you know that you can kind of get by doing what you do on your own but sometimes being in a new country I think that you know that need to gain insight and and, and sense of community from others becomes a little more um desirable you absolutely know, <laughs> yeah, yeah you have to because, try harder yeah, yeah. you you have to just try yeah, really hard yeah. to make friends and get out of your usual shell and yeah. by doing so you land up yeah. growing much quicker at a quicker pace it may not be yeah. for the better it may not be for the worse it just is quick 
it's such a fast evolution. Yeah. When you were writing songs and you were playing guitar when you were younger, what sort of concerts did you go to? What do you remember at all the first concert yeah. that you went to? Yeah, I um I was really into a lot of rock music and country music and I think, you know, I mean I was like every other kid when I was you know, around 10, 11, 12, I just liked whatever was on the radio, right? Even like Christina Aguilera and Destiny's Child and all the things that were big at the time. Mm. But I think once I was playing guitar and got closer to like the age of 14 or something, I was really pretty heavily into more alternative and, and, and heavy rock. And I, I think I found a real outlet in heavy music because it was it was so different to what I was doing, which is this kind of soft, tender singer-songwriter thing. Yes. And I think that's the side of me wanting to kind of make tougher music as well, and that's when I started getting into beats, you know, when I, you know, started listening to Nine Inch Nails or Bjork or the Mars Volta or something. Um, but my first ever concert was Silverchair, um, who oh, were wow. a big Australian band at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my dad took me to see them. I would have been about 14, I think. Um, and, you know, I just absolutely loved it. I was washing in the crowd. And just, <laughs> I, yeah, it was incredible. And I later went on to make half of my second album with Daniel Jones of Silverchair. So it was a kind of a cool full circle moment. Did you, did you tell him that you were in the crowd and that was one of your first concerts? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Totally, I did. Yeah, I love I that. Stoked, yeah. Did, did a lot yeah. of artists come to New Zealand or did you find yourself when you had to go traveling a lot to see the bands that you really wanted to see? Um, no, I think we were actually lucky that, you know, we had a big festival called Big Day Out where a lot of big bands came. I remember Bjork and Rage Against the Machine and News and Marshalter and, you know, Interpol. Like, a lot of my favorite bands made their way eventually down to New Zealand. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was always exciting when we got a concert because, you know, we, we just always felt like we were so far from the rest of the world and it would be, you know, a real thrill when your favorite band made a stop in Auckland. Of course. Was there ever any artist that you desperately wanted to see that you finally saw? Like any any of your kind of preconceived ideas that were shattered after you saw someone, you know, that you really wanted to see? I was very lucky to see Aretha Franklin right before she passed away wow. at the Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, mm-hmm. she just did a few songs as part of a documentary screening. And um, obviously that was special because she made a pass, but... Um, it was also just like the moment of, wow, you know, whatever expectations I had of that voice, you know, seeing it live was just a whole other, um, you know, experience. I also remember seeing Jennifer Hudson that same night and being totally blown away by her as a, as a younger artist and, and just thinking, you know, whatever I'd heard on record was just completely different live and it gave me so much respect for both of those artists. Gosh, and especially the timing and the effect that both of them have actually had, you know, on on yeah. women of color and singers. What yeah. what about performance really makes you feel? You you mentioned the word which I loved earlier. You said it was kind of a spiritual calling for you, which I've always felt listening yeah. to your music. It's always so natural to listen to it, no matter what you know, how many different avenues you go down. How, how, what about mm. performance really touches a certain part of you? Well, I think it's that beautiful synergy between all of those elements, right? You get to step into an outfit that dictates 
you know, the way you hold yourself, it's a part of the story, it's the it's posture and everything. I step into that zone, I do the hair and makeup, I kind of feel yeah. that I can now be larger than life, you know. And stepping onto stage and being in a space where I can be fearless and anything goes, you know, it's that sense of like in art, it's like God has given us this like special place to go to all of our extremes and there's a safety in doing that, you know. You could be as wild as you want, you can you can you know, cry with the audience. You can mourn over pain and grief. You can, you know, celebrate things. You can talk about politics even if you want. You can do, it's a free space where you can, you know, kind of um, deep dive with people. Um, and I think it, it creates a pathway for transcendence, you know, a moment where someone can watch a show and feel that the artist said something or looked at them in a way or hit a note that vibrationally, you know, shifted something in their body and made them think again about that relationship or think again about their role in the universe or think again about, you know, and that's what excites me about live performance is that I can look in people's eyes and actually feel the sense that what I'm doing could make a an actual change in their lives where they feel a sense of inspiration to um, yeah, deepen their own lives in some way. I feel sometimes, even if it doesn't affect them in the long term, performance in any capacity, whether it's music or film or art or theatre or dance, there's something about it being so within the moment that you can't ever really exactly. get that back. That I really, like, you can't edit much. That's true, yeah. You know, which I really, like, it's the last, yeah. it's our last hope for an unedited experience, you know, and although obviously, That's right. I, think exactly right. I, I don't know, the person can walk off the stage if you get a song wrong or, you know, I've watched artists say like, oh, shit, we've got to start that song again, um, which is of fine. Course, yeah. But there is something about it being so, even if people are taking their phones out and recording, I, I never really mind that because it's still, you're still there. You're still se- having that sensory yep. experience. Yep. Do you remember the first, the first concert that you played? Oh, that's tricky. I mean, <laughs> we, had, uh, we had a big, yeah, well, it was a long time ago. I mean, we had a big, like, high school band competition. And, and that was probably the first time that I performed on my guitar, one of my own songs. But before that point, I had, you know, as a young kid, I was asked to sing national anthems at rugby games and various things. And I once performed the New Zealand national anthem for an All Blacks game. Oh, my um, gosh. I was being pretty young. Wow. Yeah, yeah, my dad would be, like, going people. crazy now. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For those who don't know, that's rugby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of people. And um, wow. I think it's just one of those things where you remember those first performances because everything else feels so much easier after that, you know. Um, and so that's an early performance I had of just singing. Um, but I think, you know, probably the first concerts were probably quite ordinary, you know, mm-hmm. in the back of a restaurant singing to, like I said, a few people <laughs> eating dinner or something. And that's you know, humbling to remember that there's a lot of the most important moments in life are sometimes not these grandiose, huge concerts, but these really simple experiences that that alter the course of your life forever. (laughs) Mm, Absolutely. And actually, a lot of people, I feel quite bad because the the nature of the show is really to, to get people into a place that could be 
you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, some people 40 years yep. ago that I've spoken to. And a lot of yep. artists by nature are not as nostalgic as you'd expect because it's quite like mm. art is and art making is quite a forward motioning thing. You know, you, you're constantly trying yep. to create and move forward. I love yeah. that you said how it's quite humbling because it really is to remember those moments. And yeah. I, I, can you imagine somebody in the crowd there you know, who now can say, oh my gosh, I once remember when I saw Kimbra in a restaurant. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's so amazing. Exactly. It's such a cool, it's yep. such a cool way to document time. Speaking about those bigger moments that you've had, which obviously you've had really large, incredible uh, milestones. I know that in October you interviewed David Byrne ahead of his tour. Obviously you were joining him in, in New Zealand and yeah. I know that obviously a few years ago as well, you performed with him for a tribute for David yeah. Bowie. And I loved your yeah. interview, just reading through it. Uh, we we had him on the show a few months ago and I just thought right. he was just yeah. the coolest, most zen human being in the world. You know, <laughs> he's just so relaxed. <laughs> he is an incredible um, yeah. And we, we actually named this podcast after one of his uh, talking head songs, which is cool. But so I loved what you said in your interview. You asked him what Bowie meant to him. But I'd love to know what yeah. does what does David mean to you? Well, we just finished our tour with David Byrne. I also toured around with him through Australia. So it was about nine to ten shows or a lot. Wow. And um, we spent a lot of time with him, you know, I mean... I also joined him on stage for a couple of uh, a couple of times throughout the tour, singing um, "How Are You," which is a song by Janelle Monae um, that focuses on police brutality yes. and victims who were killed by violence. And you know, it's a very very powerful song to perform. And standing right there with David Byrne with my fists pumping in the air, um, I think yeah, there's many ways David has inspired me. Of course, musically, he's just the most curious soul. He's always pushing mm. and, you know, looking for new ways of expression and very kind of um, unselfconscious about that, you know, which I think is something we all admire is when someone is just kind of not overthinking their process too much and just kind of going more into that dream state of following an intuition. Um, and then on top of that, though, I think what's inspired me more is just him as a person continuing to be so socially aware and using his art to actually speak about things that are important to him. Like he spent a lot of the show talking about how half the band are immigrants and he himself is an immigrant from Glasgow. And, you know, he doesn't have to do things like that, but it's a chance for him to, you know, take that step with his fan base and say, hey, there's still things we need to do better. And as a fan of my work, I want you to walk with me in making these changes in the world. And um, yeah, I think that's really inspired me to think of my art as not just entertainment, but also a form of um, communicating a, a message to people. Absolutely. And especially you mentioned that Janelle Monet song. That is one of them. I've seen, I've seen this live show that he has, that he's currently yeah, touring. Yeah. And that moment and that song is just, oh. I, I, even, if, even if people don't know the song, I I felt the crowd yeah. around me just get up straight away, and people were like tapping Absolutely. their feet and raising their arms. It was it was very 
poetic and yeah how did oh, you yeah. how did Absolutely. you feel when he asked you to to come on stage for that particular song had you heard it before yeah no i'd seen them perform it um live and uh, I, I felt the same way it was just such an incredible song but uh david actually came out of his way him and his band to, to come and see my solo show in melbourne i was playing a stripped down show which is like the show I'll be bringing to Chicago yes. and all around the state. Yeah, and he, you know, they had a night off and then the whole band came down to see me play and I mentioned to the audience that I had, you know, marched in the Black Lives Matter march and, you know, talked a bit about my experience in America and witnessing racism there and just, you know, um, being, you know, further informed about the black experience in America and, uh, I think he took that as a cue to perhaps ask me to join him because he could see that I had a heart for those issues in America. So, yeah, it was a really nice way to tie um, tie that together, things that are important to me, and also just being a fangirl and excited to be oh, on stage. Oh, no, it's so. ridiculous. It's, it's just like, and I, I can imagine he is just as enamored with your work as well because he is so picky and choosy with who he works with. So I think it's amazing that um, it's perfect that you got to that you got to perform with him. And, and weirdly, I know that you just mentioned you, you're going to have a stripped down show, a stripped back show because that also aligns with the latest album that you released now in October. Yeah, yeah. It's just an EP and it's yes. only, you know, four songs of Primal Heart, but mm-hmm. they're done in a very, very different way. Just yes. down, no beats, no crazy production. And yeah, the show will be inspired by that sort of sound palette. And I'll be bringing back songs from Vows and Golden Echo, all three albums. And just kind of like giving them a new home inside the space of acoustics. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, going to be a nice way to get really intimate with people and show them a bit more about my, my songwriting process. Yeah. Do you feel, though, speaking now, how affected you are by a message of uh, from art, of music? Do you feel that your intention to strip it back and or have collaborators like Dawn Richard and people involved in the reimagining of Primal Heart, was that affected by the cultural climate at all? Or do you feel like you were going to always keep on working on your songs? I mean, it's an interesting parallel to draw. I think I've always done it, though. If I look back at Vows, you know, Mm. I I think I never performed Settle Down the same way life. I changed it almost every time we played it. And, you know, I did these sort of same thing, live videos online, I did, you know, a change, various songs or release an acoustic version of them, um, and, and you know, pull on friends to do wild remixes of things. And I think that's always been a way that I try to keep finding inspiration in the songs is to keep kind of reinventing them. But in terms of stripping them down to their most raw essence, I think that you're right that that could be a result of wanting to gain a... Um, a more kind of potent, direct connection with people in light of this very divided world we are living in and a world that kind of is quick to um, notice differences on the outside but slow to realize that ultimately underneath our skin we're all so much very the same, you know, and, and that's what Primal Heart is all about is this idea of the human condition and the, 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 the primitive nature of, you know, every emotion um, whether that's fear or desire and all of these things that drive us 
have been with us really from day one and, and we, we can find a camaraderie in seeing each other as all um, going through that, you know, and I think to communicate that kind of message, which is all about extending a hand and saying, hey, let's let's see what unites us rather than what divides us. In light of that, I think stripping the songs down was actually quite important, you know, rather than doing like slamming dance floor remixes of them. Yeah, I think it's because I, I didn't draw that comparison to put it in a box. I just found it really pertinent to what you're speaking about in the music. Yeah. You know, you're having obviously questions that relate yeah. to the our cultural climate and each other and it's it's so honest and it's needing everyone to be as vulnerable as possible because I think a lot of it you're asking these yeah. questions to yourself but whilst the question is out there so the listener lands up asking it too well at least I felt that when I was listening as an artist it's not easy to do to put yourself into a place where you're not necessarily telling people to listen to you and 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 your heart but you're showing them that there's just another avenue to your life you know just a different version which is difficult right it's 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 not something that a lot of artists can achieve i think it's i can't imagine because i think everything i've ever read about you this year is like primal heart is the most honest album to date and all the and i've always felt you're a very (laughs) honest and genuine artist but i never i think a lot of people don't think they're like, yes, the message is honest, but what about your process in mm. getting there? Like, how how hard is it to be that mm. vulnerable and then rehash it to a live yeah, audience? Yeah. Well, I mean, you really have to, yeah, you have to have gone through some things, I think, that, that allow you to feel like it's more important to share of yourself than to put up walls to protect yourself. You know, that's that crossroads you come to. It's like, it feels more important to connect with people on the level of suffering and vulnerability than protecting your identity and keeping up a perfect facade. You know, which as as women, we, we do that a lot. I think we feel oh, that gosh, we, we yeah. are under obligation to do that. You know, and I think early days for me were very much about creating a character. And, you know, I love that part of the process. I still create characters around what I do. It's so much fun, you know. It's like a kid playing dress-ups. But when it comes to, like, you know, really sharing from a place where it's very much unique to you and what you've seen and and, um, asking someone to enter into that space, which is to ask them to be vulnerable, I think you need to first set an example, right, which is kind of stepping on stage and being confessional about something and it grants the audience a kind of permission to go there with you. Um, and yeah, that that was what I what I did for the four song EP. I handed over production role the production role to Lars Homestead of Jaga Jazzist and I really let other people kind of take the helm on the design of the sound so so that I could just step onto that mic and just be the singer. And that was really hard for me because I I know, you're always looping and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think that was important. Totally, totally. If you stay the same and do the same things, although you would probably become even better and better, it's that 10,000 hour rule, you know, you're going to become as good as you can get. I think uh, the theme Uh of what you were saying earlier of discomfort and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations you know, why not just 
give yourself a little bit of a challenge. I know it's easier said because exactly. I'm not the one who did it, but you know, I think um, <laughs> the reward is is really seen and and heard. And and I know that here you've got the top of the world track. You have that uh, with a new rap verse from Snoop Dogg. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, Snoop Dogg on the oh track. I know. Did you get to meet him? How did that come about? How did that collaboration work out? So basically, he really dug the song. It was as simple as that, I think. Um, we had some mutual friends, and somehow the song got to him, and he was really excited by it, and it, it really just happened from, from that perspective of him liking it and, and being down to put a verse on it. Um, we haven't met, you know, during the process it was done from afar and I got sent the verse and I was just losing my mind. You know, it's like one of my favorites. <laughs> but um, it was, it's going to be really fun to meet him eventually and just like tell him face to face how how much I love what he did on the song because it really gave it a whole new um, life, really. And, and speaking of that, also version of me, I know is a, a favorite amongst a lot of the fans and a lot of the critics. And it's such a beautiful, it's become now as well in the rework, such a beautiful brooding ballad, if I can call it, uh, with Dawn mm. and including her as yeah. well. Was that also through Friends? Yeah, no, that was that was even more organic, I'd say, where it was like Dawn had been following my music for years and, and been quite vocal about reaching out and telling me. And I, of course, respected so much of what she did as well. And so we would kind of keep in loose contact just as like fangirls of each other you know and then <laughs> yeah. when the record came out I said to her hey if you wanted to reinterpret a song of mine and like do a, a version of it a remix of it I would love that and then it turned out that she kind of did this almost duet version of the song and that's what inspired me to say hey I think this is really powerful why don't we do a photo shoot or a music video around it and take the lyrics to another level and actually bear ourselves and our souls in the song um and i just felt like she was the right artist to ask that and i swear she said yes in a second she was on the red eye flight to new york within days oh my gosh Amazing. <laughs> yeah seeing her live as well is an experience i i watched i think it was not last year or the year before she was at pitchfork festival here in chicago yeah and we were just yeah. i i took thousands of shots of her in the pit. I wasn't meant to. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to get in and get out <laughs> and landed up filling my card because yeah. there's so much of her that comes yeah. across. You, are, you, She gives you everything, Absolutely. which is just such a gift. Yes, so what do you think then? I know that the song is called, I'm just thinking now, but I know the song is called Version of Me and you obviously you say next time I'll be kinder with you. But what does the best version of you look like like when you're in that way that you feel most creative most energized refueled what does that look like i think it looks like a human in a state of flow right and i think anyone kind of knows what they, that means in the sense that you're you're able to give from the very depths of who you are um without force but also without holding back. It's this sort of balance of, you know, natural natural presence and also just kind of being so deeply attuned to um, 
your gift, you know, and giving that freely. Um, I think it also looks like acceptance for me, you know, the more we fight with ourselves and mm. hate parts of ourselves, the, the harder it is to actually grow because the first step in any kind of growth is accepting the conditions or accepting the parts of ourselves that don't feel beautiful and don't feel worthy. So I think, yeah, that the version of me that I aspire to is one of acceptance and then and then flow outward to others because I think that is our purpose in life, right, is to be a blessing to others. And that comes first from being able to accept yourself um, with all the messy, complicated things that are there, you know? None yeah. of us are perfect, yeah. Absolutely, so, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and also flow is so important, especially as an artist, uh, to feel stagnant in yeah. any in any way, whether that's with your own art or with your relationships, um, it, it really yeah. doesn't, it's it, it, not that it doesn't help because I don't want to put it as a negative thing. I think that it's, it's yeah. needed sometimes to, to get in a right yeah. so that you can get out of it, yeah. you know, but now you're obviously yeah. going into this new, I'm not going to say that, as you said, you, you're going to have songs from vowels and, uh, you know, primal heart you're going to have, but what do you think the, upcoming tour you're at the cusp of it starting so how do you feel about approaching the new set of songs whether that's from the reimagined primal heart or the mm -hmm. album that came out in april as well what are you feeling as an artist yeah. toward that set of songs they, they've really taken on a new life in this context i think lyrically people are able to really connect with them in a deeper way i've done the show it's in a test run of the show in Australia and New Zealand. And I was sort of blown away by the response. So it's uh, it's going to be really exciting now to take it to American fans. So have only really seen me in very high-energy context. You yes. know, this, this performance feels like... It's just like, seriously, just chilling and like having a glass of wine with someone. And just like <laughs> yeah. having a chat, you know? And that's something I don't do very often. But um, I'm really excited to translate the songs with as little as possible. Um, of course, it's a lot more focus on the voice, but I think in, in this situation, that's that's really what's most important for connecting with people. Both internal and uh, the physical, absolutely. Exactly. Um, yeah. but, and I know that mm -hmm. obviously speaking about people who inspire you, I know that you did a session or something with Donald Glover. Is that something that you... Have are thinking about releasing, or is it ever anything that uh, will be released? Because that is a that is a duo, yeah. a Kimbra yeah. and Donald. I mean, the, oh, gosh, I don't even know how to not gush about it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, it it would be amazing if that stuff comes out. I mean, of course, there's still hope that we won't get in the studio and finish the things we started. Um, the timing was that he went straight into Atlanta after we worked on things together, oh, right. um, okay. and so he kind of. Yeah, he just kind of had to take a back seat from everything music-related at that time and, you know, gave me the blessing to keep working on songs that we had started, you know, kind of on my own while he um, worked on what he was doing, you know. Mm. So, um, but I still had the demos, of course, of things that we, we did. And there's, you know, there's a song in there, a couple of things that we've done, but like one in particular that's just like such a dope, like heartfelt kind of ballad. And I hope there will be a time when we get to... Oh my gosh. That, um, but it's just all about 
the schedules syncing up and just people actually being in that space to to do collaboration because he's just such a busy guy. So we'll see. Release the demos. <laughs> I can hear like the the, <laughs> the listeners are going to be saying that when they hear you you mention uh, that there's a ballad between you and uh, Donald Glover. I can't even. Oh, it's giving me chills. Just, yeah. well, I'm excited it's for so hopefully. <laughs> yeah one day well you know it's, it's just one day exactly yeah. what do you think is the one thing about touring for you that many people might not know about so something that you do on tour that is maybe unusual or i do watercolors on the tour bus and ah. uh, uh, well, thank you for sharing and chatting. Uh, I'm so excited for your show in Chicago. I know that thank it's going to be for all of your shows across. If anybody obviously wants to find out more about your tours, they can go to kimbramusic.com. Yeah, yep. they can find all your tours. Yeah. And uh, your show in Chicago is at Talia Hall. So that's going to be also really lovely. Have you played in Chicago before? Yeah, yeah, no, a few times, yeah. but not in a theatre like this. That could be very special, yeah. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble, and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com. Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.